good morning, a cautious happy spring, maybe? If it snows one more time, that's it. I'm moving. I'm done with this. But it is so great to be together today, whether that's online or in person. We are still walking through our Galatians series, and today we're focusing on a few verses, which is Galatians 5, 13 to 15. To start, I'm going to read out the verses so we can just keep them in mind as we walk through what they mean for us today. So here we go. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So love your neighbor is probably, I'm going to say, one of the most important commands that we are given. And Jesus himself says so, because in Matthew 22, 34 to 40, it's a story and it's about Jesus. And he's saying, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So love your neighbor is extremely well known, I feel, and it kind of extends beyond our Christian circles. But it got me thinking about some other well-known quotes. So this morning, I want to see how well you all know pop culture. So if you are in person, just yell it out as soon as you know it. Try to be either the first or the loudest, whichever you can do. If you're online, try to get it typed in first before anyone else can answer. So I have some famous movie lines, and you got to figure out which movie it's from. This first one, it's a gimme. Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Wizard of Oz, absolutely. May the force be with you. Star Wars, never seen it, never gonna. Here's looking at you. <laughs> I knew that would be either like, some people would be like, yeah, and then the rest of you would want me fired. Um, next one, here's looking at you, kid. Yes, absolutely. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Jaws, I'll be back. Terminator! All right, this one I hope a few of you can get. Mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. Forrest Gump. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13, I feel the need, the need for speed. Top Gun, nobody puts baby in a corner. Dirty dancing, you guys are good. I'm impressed. And our last one, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, absolutely. It actually comes from Uncle Ben in Spider-Man. If you're confused why we're playing this game this morning, it's because that with great power comes great responsibility quote actually kind of summarizes what Paul is teaching here in Galatians 13 to 15. The Galatians had been free from maintaining certain Jewish practices. They were freed from the law, so they were justified by faith now apart from works. And if you've been here for any of the other weeks in this series, you would have heard us talk about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, the perfect sacrifice that allows us to now have a personal relationship with God, based on faith alone and not dependent on our deeds. And with this great power comes great responsibility. We learn from this that we are not to use our freedom selfishly, 
but we are to use our freedom to serve others through love. And if some of you are finding this confusing, that's okay, because freedom is a word that has way too many meanings in this day and age. But in our minds, it never comes with rules, which can kind of make this confusing. But here's the reality. Freedom, in my mind, is actually super destructive because my mom has a nickname for me. It's Leadfoot. Uh, because I don't know why I would waste time in a car going slow. Like, why? Why? If the roads are clear, if you have confidence, pedal to the metal, just go. However, freedom by my earthly standards has no stoplights, stop signs, rules of the road, kind of any of those things. Because if I'm free, I can do whatever I want. My freedom in this definition shouldn't matter about the risk that it brings others. I can drive fast if I want. But if we're going to be on the topic of my level of freedom, I don't want to pay my mortgage anymore. I don't. Instead, I want to spend that money on a personal chef so that I never have to cook again, which would be a gift to my husband. And no one can say anything or take away my house because I can do anything I want. I'm free. That'd be a pretty terrible world. Uh, no one wants me to drive like that. That's pretty self-explanatory. But freedom can't be selfish and self-serving without causing the whole world to crash and burn. And that is what these verses are talking about. So when Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, he lets us know, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. He makes it abundantly clear that the freedom of grace is not a freedom to sin, but instead a freedom to serve in love. Grace doesn't simply unshackle us from the chains of sin and condemnation, which it does, but it unshackles us for a new life of holiness and love. So listen to two amazing verses from the New Testament, which is 1 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love not only saves us, but it should also start redefining things in us. And if Christ's love redefines the definition of freedom, then we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And if we live for him, then we need to serve those he loved like he first served. But we're not just magically going to get there. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly be perfectly selfless. We need to actually look at ourselves first and see what's really motivating us and where we're fooling ourselves and thinking, well, I've got this all figured out. If you're new to church or new to faith and you aren't sure where you stand in this whole Christianity thing, I want you to know that this is still for you today. Self-reflection is so important. But there are two fatal flaws that we can have when it comes to serving and loving others. That first fatal flaw is we try to prove ourselves, how good of a person we are. We try to do all the right things and try to avoid all the bad things. We try to kind of tip the scales in our direction. We don't swear, we don't speed, we don't steal, we don't cheat. We follow all of the rules perfectly. And we try to prove ourselves to those around us, to probably ourselves the most, and sometimes we're a little better and we try to prove ourselves to God, but we're motivated by the rules. We're motivated by proving that we're good rather than proving that we love Jesus. We know all the right things to say rather than actually knowing why we do them. And if that's where we're at, then we're going to be left 
feeling pretty hopeless because the reality is, is we don't measure up to perfection. None of us can. The second fatal flaw, however, that maybe you fall into is that we just give up on the game entirely. We cast off all the rules. So we make up our own. We do whatever we want because we're free. No speed, signs, no nothing. Uh, we do what we want because we don't care what others think. We can go our own way. This frame of mind, of course, is filled with pride. But throwing ourselves in that direction also leaves us empty and hopeless. And we decide, well, this is how it's going to be, but that's still not a solution. But Paul in these verses calls out these fatal flaws for how wrong they are and tells us what the consequences are. He condemns those Judaizers, who, if you've heard, they were the Jewish people that they still felt that they should be binded by the law and earn forgiveness. But he condemned them for the same things that we do today. He said, for you were called to freedom. So you've been freed from the law. You don't have to keep it to be saved. You don't have to follow this set of rules. You were saved by Jesus alone. In fact, trying to do right with God in your own efforts pulls you even further from him. But leaning into him and having him change your heart that you want to follow the law is how you get close to him. So Paul calls out that first fatal flaw here when we try to prove ourselves. But he also writes, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So now Paul is warning them of that second fatal flaw, when we think that we can live any way we want and our choices don't matter. Paul uses this word flesh here. He's not talking about our literal flesh, not the meat on your bones, but he's talking about our old sinful nature, who we are as fallen people, and those tendencies that we all have that we know are wrong and selfish. Our flesh is not who we are in Christ when we're redeemed, though. Living for your flesh is a really dangerous place to be. We all need to ask ourselves if the gospel in this situation has become just an excuse to do what we want, if it's just a safeguard to make us feel better when we sin because, well, we're free and saved. If it is, we might as well just leave the gospel behind because we're entirely missing the point anyways. Paul says, do not use your freedom in that way. Now, what makes things even harder is that our culture tells us that that's what freedom is and what it has to be. If we think we're free, and only if we can do exactly what we want in every single situation, then that's freedom. But that assumes far too much for who we are and how we got to where we are in the first place. What culture is missing is that this idea of freedom doesn't really exist. We aren't free on our own. We, we only choose things based on our desires. We don't make random choices. What we choose in every situation flows from who we are at that point in our lives. So we're really not free. There's a really limited range of things we can actually do. Sometimes it's our circumstances that limit us. Sometimes it's just ourselves. We limit ourselves. But God is telling us here, don't misunderstand your freedom. Freedom isn't free until we are no longer slaves to our sin. What this is saying is that we're free from trying to keep the law, the rules, to make us right with God. But now we're meant to use that freedom to please him. And we should want to do that. How does that happen? How does that look? Well, it looks like how we live with one another. When we're free from our selfish flesh, we are free to actually love one another. Freedom to love others requires a laying down of self. Choosing to give it up is part of it, but you actually need the freedom that Jesus gives to make it stick. Because the truth is, you don't have the freedom to love others 
without Jesus, because our self-interests will always win no matter how hard we try to fight it. We can't truly love people and put them first unless we are led by the only truly selfless person, which is Jesus. When we follow what he says and what he calls us to do, we can love without selfishness. Which brings us to the next part of the passage, which is, but through love, serve one another. Here's what loving Jesus does. You're free, but that freedom is still not an excuse to let yourself go and go off on everyone around you, to do whatever you want, to hurt others. But instead, it frees you from being isolated. It frees you to be loving, to serve others, to be in meaningful and loving community with others. That's what freedom looks like. And here's why freedom is loving others. Paul writes in verse 14, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So we've been talking throughout this whole Galatians series all about what the law couldn't do. And it could never make us right with God. But here we get what the law was pointing to before Jesus came, what it was trying to do. And the law, all the rules, were meant to help us see that we needed God. The law was meant to drive us towards the gospel. But what Paul is getting at is, what were all those rules about? How could they be summarized? Love one another. That's what Paul is saying. When we love, we are actually fulfilling what the Old Testament law was all about. There's a lot of irony in this, though. So these Judaizers are trying to keep the letter of the law to get close to God. But the reality is, is that it's actually driving them away from God and making them miss the gospel. The verse says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But think about that for a second. You undoubtedly and continually think about yourself and care for your needs. Everyone has pants on today. Everyone made it here today. You thought of your needs on how to get here. And that's good. That's all good things. But Paul says, love those around you in the same way, undoubtedly and continually. And as you do, you keep the whole point of the law without missing the gospel. But Paul wasn't the only one to say it. Jesus did too. So going back to that story I said at the very beginning in Matthew 22, when he's talking to them and they're trying to test him on if he knows what the greatest commandment is, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he says the second is just as important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself because all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Our freedom is for love. Whether or not we grasp his love will show us itself in how we treat those around us. But how do we actually get to that place? How do we actually love freely? Well, Philippians 2, 1 to 8 gives us a perfect outline if you're struggling. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance 
As a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what freedom looked like. Freedom for our Savior was washing feet. And we are called to be the same in that mind and spirit. I talked earlier about the two fatal flaws, but here's the good part. There's a cure, and it's love. And it's found here in Philippians 2, 1 to 8. It's who Christ is. It's what he's done. That gets in our hearts, and it changes us. He's the God in heaven, but he doesn't cling to his rights. Instead, he lays them down. The king, the creator of the universe, became a servant. He totally emptied himself. He was born in a dirty manger. He lives and breathes in all the ways of a human when he's God and could totally have an easier route. And he died a criminal's death on that cross. This is Jesus. That's who he is. And this is what he's done, and it's the cure for those fatal flaws. To me, one of the most challenging passages in the Bible goes like this. It's from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, then I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This passage is enough to send shivers down my spine because it reminds me that it doesn't matter how much I do, how great I am, how well I can speak on a Sunday morning, how many people will say, oh, that totally changed my life. If it's not rooted in love, if it's not done through that freedom that I've been given to serve, it means absolutely nothing. No amount of money to charity, no amount of good deeds, no amount of people I help cross the road matters if it's not rooted in love. This passage is so important because Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He also taught that one of the ways to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us and bless those who persecute us is to give freely of our possessions. Luke 6, 27 to 31 says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other side also. If someone asks for your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul warns us that you can give everything away. You can lay down your life for someone else and yet still not be acting in love. You can make that final sacrifice. You could die for someone else, but still be lost forever. Because Jesus didn't make these calls to serve our vanity or our desire to be perfect. He called us to love one another so that our natural reaction is to serve as he served. John Piper wrote this, and I thought it would be good to share today. He writes, to put it very bluntly, you can go to hell fighting for poverty programs, and you can go to hell fighting for a prayer amendment, because love can never be defined simply as mere deeds. It always involves the condition of the heart of the doer. 
If we want to bring the message of the Bible to bear on the problems of the world around us, we need to realize that the Bible is much more radical than the agenda of either the right or the left. It says to both, though you give your body to be burned in the service of your agenda and have not love, you've gained nothing. Love can never be equated with anyone's agenda because no agenda is love unless it comes from a certain kind of heart. We might be impressed with a person that gives a million dollars to a hospital building project, but God looks of the heart and the queries of the hidden motives of the soul. Christianity is not primarily an agenda for political activity. It is primarily a power that radically changes the human heart. The command to love in Galatians 5, 13 to 15 is a command to have the kind of free and confident heart that by its very nature has to love others. Because love is actually motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness. But when we work in our works of the flesh, we are motivated by the desire to fill our emptiness. The meaning of flesh in the book of Galatians, again, not the physical part of a person, but it's a deep emptiness that uses the means within its own power to fill that emptiness. So it means, maybe if it's a religious reason, as we see in Galatians, it uses the law. It follows the rules, it checks all the boxes so that it feels like it's filled that emptiness. If it's not religious, then maybe it uses money, power, people, fake relationships, anything like that. But the one thing is true. The flesh is not free. It enslaved us to one empty desire after another in an effort to fill that emptiness, which only Christ can fill. So when Paul says in verse 13, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he means don't surrender that freedom that you have in the all-satisfying Christ to return to the unsatisfying desires for mere physical pleasures or self-exaltation. Our selfish choices are motivated by a desire to fill that emptiness. But love is different. It is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness. 1 Corinthians 13:5, love does not seek its own. When we love, we are not enslaved to the things or the people to fill our emptiness. Love is overflowing and making us full. Therefore, love is the actual only behavior that we can do in freedom. When God frees us from guilt and fear and greed, the only motive left for what we do is that joy of sharing our fullness. So a gentle reminder this morning that believe it or not, these verses are not all about you. And they're not all about me. I love to make things about me, I'll admit, but this isn't about me. It's a command to take my already existing love of self and to make it the standard of my love for others. These verses aren't about me, they're not about you, they're about loving others. There is not a harder command in the Bible than this one because it goes against our very nature. It means you need to want to feed the hungry as much as you feed yourself when you get hungry. It means you want to find your neighbor a job as much as you're glad that you have a job. You want to help your fellow student get A's in class as much as you want to get that A. You want to give that terrible softball player a chance to play as much as you want to be the star of the game. And you want to share Christ with your neighbor as much as you are glad that you know him yourself. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we were all like that? Looking at the person to the right and to the left and feeling the same longingness for their happiness that we feel for our own? Not only would the law be fulfilled, but this place would be irresistible. 
There would be so much joy, and the glory of God would be unmistakable if we truly lived that way. So let's be like that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And please remember, we can only love if we're free. And that is a love motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness and not by the desire to fill our emptiness. So as we close today, I'm just going to pray. If that is you today, if you are in a path or in a rut of trying to fill your emptiness rather than living in the fullness of Christ, he died on that cross for you. As we did communion today, that was for you to give you that fullness, to take away that desire to fill your emptiness because he will fill you. So please bow your heads with me as we pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that the love that you give us is freeing. That love that you give us allows us to love others in a true way. So God, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you that you allow us to be in personal relationship with you. And for all of us that are in a place where, God, we are trying to fill our empty hearts with other things, with things of this world, with things that break us and pull us apart, God, today we surrender that to you. We give you our hearts to fill with your love so that we can overflow with joy, that we can love others in the way that you love them. So, God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. In your name, amen.